Welcome to Logical, the UAE's first and only legal podcast. My name's Tim Elliott. Logical comes to you from the Dubai-based legal firm HPL Yamalava and Plethka. And as ever, here is Ludmilla Yamalava, the managing partner. Good to see you. Good to be here with you, Tim, as always. This time, Ludmilla, we're going to take a look at, not our divorce, but we're looking at divorce once again. We will but, never be divorced. <laughs> we, I know, I can't get rid of you. Um, this time, however, and this is an interesting one, I think, amicable divorce. Is there such a thing? We'll find out. Divorce can be less than amicable. It's often very difficult emotionally, put in the legal stresses. It's a tough time. It's not always the case, though. Sometimes both parties are able to recognise that it perhaps just wasn't meant to be. They decide they're better off separate from one another. So let's look at this sometimes. From a legal standpoint in the UAE, it's a two-stage process, isn't it? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, first of all, as you rightfully said, divorces are always uh, very painful and um, and complex and affect many different aspects of life. Uh, that's just as d- divorce as as a concept or as an event in life. Uh, but the process of going through a divorce is uh, so much more than just the event itself. Mm. And uh, in especially in legal practice, we see people that are just starting to um, to consider divorce or have just been served with a divorce. And there's a lot of emotions that are running wild and uh, for all the expected and human reasons. And But often what happens is as a result, uh, people um, perhaps um, put logic and reason behind, uh, at least for the time being, because the emotions are so... Uh, uh, so high, and so they want to fight. They want to go to battle. They want to roll up their sleeves and uh, and uh, basically just give it give give it its all. That's never really the um, I guess the preferred strategy as as a legal practitioner. I'll tell you because it's such a difficult process in of itself, uh, and that is the the event of a divorce uh, and the proceedings of the process to get to that actual final divorce um, uh, only complicates things. And so wherever we can advise clients to try to amicably divorce and uh, to try to agree amicably versus having the court be involved in deciding who gets what and um, how the assets are divvied up and how the children are divided and so on and so forth. It's just, um, uh, it's it's so much more preferred for the parties to, to actually engage their reason, engage the logic and put their emotions aside. And I know it's a lot easier said than done. But it really, in the long run, it's just so much more beneficial for them to try to amicably agree. And to do this, they obviously need to understand cognitively that uh, whatever they're feeling at the moment is emotions. Uh, while very natural and human, emotions, almost by definition, fade with time, at least the intensity of emotions. And so... I mean, this is one thing with you as a lawyer, isn't it? The... You have to to empathize with the situation that people are in and the emotions, you know, are running high. But you have to be able to say legitimately as a lawyer, look, you have to put these two one side for a moment at least. Absolutely. And I will tell you even more so that perhaps nine out of ten times when we saw parties absolutely refusing to even entertain an amicable um, approach or an amicable settlement, and they just, they prepared to throw all of their punches into this. Fast forward 
four, five, six months, eight months, they're so tired and exhausted mm-hmm. uh, by the proceedings and and uh, by all the sort of mudslinging that goes both ways and and uh, the emotions and the, um, uh, the friends judging or their families and life kind of disintegrating as a result of these proceedings that they end up <laughs> ultimately uh, agreeing to an so-called at that point an amicable settlement. So they actually, in most cases, they end up agreeing on something. Uh, and uh, And this is why I wanted to take the time perhaps and do this particular podcast is to encourage people to not have to wait that long, not have to spend all the money and effort and energy and, and emotional well-being uh, to uh, the um, the contentious uh, or litigious divorce proceedings. Uh, just, um, just to try to prove a point, because in most cases, once you actually go through the court process, it's so unpleasant and painful that in many ways you just, you just give up anyway and you, and you end up where you could have, uh, started with. I mean, it's almost as though you, you go through divorce, so you divorce a person, but you have to be able to divorce yourself from your feelings, don't you? Uh, well said, um, indeed. And that's uh, perhaps a Hercules task. Mm. Uh, well, well pointed uh, piece of advice, uh, but to uh, encourage people who are feeling so emo- emotionally raw at that point in time to do exactly that, to divorce themselves from the feelings, yeah. I understand is a very difficult proposition. But we try because ultimately that is in the best of everybody's interest. Okay, so let's say two people have been able to do that. And this is not to preach to say it's easy to do because we know that it's not easy to do. But let's take the example of an amicable decision. Two people decide we need to be separate. What's the first thing to do? What are the stages? So first, um, I guess, identify where the parties live when we're talking about divorce proceedings that would ultimately be filed in the UAE. And as we all know, the UAE has uh, seven emirates. And so it depends on where you live and which emirate you live in. And this is where you will start your court proceedings for uh, this amicable divorce. And so let's say you're uh, based in Dubai and um, different emirates have their own sort of court systems. In Dubai, we have our own. Uh, Dubai uh, courts and um, which by, by now uh, largely is available online and that in terms of all the services that are provided that includes the filing of the divorce proceedings. So um, uh, so what you do first is you register yourself uh, with the or, or activate your own uh, online court access that helps a great deal because now majority of the services uh, will have to be done, and that's for, I think it's to the benefit of many, uh, through the online s- services. So what you do is you establish your online uh, court access, and then through that you go to the personal status court, and there is a request there for... Um, for basically a marital status mediation request. And, um, that's ultimately divorce proceedings, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, so the initial step is to file for divorce, but, uh, with, with the idea of registering a settlement agreement. Now, but there isn't necessarily a separate uh, request and that is the, you know, sort of like an amicable, uh, divorce. There isn't, a, that's not the starting point. The starting point is basically a party wants to file for divorce. And so one or the other, uh, a spouse should re- make this request on the court system uh, for divorce proceedings. Now, the next step after that 
is the ones the other side is served and the court serves um, uh, the other side. Uh, and I have to tell you, these days it's done so much more efficiently through digital means. The other side gets served either by a phone call or WhatsApp or SMS or email. So the service happens fairly quickly once the parties and, and in the amicable settlement we're talking about, uh, presumably there will not be, I mean, by very definition, there should not be any um, attempts to delay the proceedings because it's in both parties' interest to proceed with the, uh, the the finalizing the divorce and the ultimate um, confirmation of their settlement agreement. But since you're filing it through the court, uh, the next step that the court schedules is what's called the mediation call or the mediation proceedings. It's more of a procedural step than anything substantive, but uh, the court is required to do so. And uh, so the parties will receive a call from a mediator and who will request to... Uh, uh, to see if, if there is mediation is possible. But since we're talking about amicable uh, divorce and amicable settlement, uh, that the answer would be no. And then once there is that no that's registered on the file, then the mediator will ultimately transfer the case to the court. Uh, so um, this is not a very complex process uh, and because everything is happening online. The calls uh, with the mediator happen in, mo- in most cases by phone call, uh, maybe a Zoom call, but in most cases just literally just a simple old-fashioned phone call. Uh, and then uh, once the mediation has been concluded... Uh, then all of this information appears on the uh, on the court portal. So, and the next, and when the case gets transferred to the judge, that also appears on the court portal. So it's it's all very very um, accessible uh, in terms of parties' understanding of where the proceedings are and and where they're heading next. And so then the court will schedule uh, a hearing date. Uh, and um, and that again is is visible on the court website, and so um, that it's basically procedurally that's kind of how uh, how uh, uh, divorces like perhaps um, you go through the the, the motions. Uh, now I want to pause here for a second, and that is uh, specific state very clearly that. Um, Divorce proceedings or amicable divorces not all, not only encouraged, but they are very much possible uh, and uh, are well established, if you will, as part of the UE jurisprudence. Uh, so, and it surprises me to this day how many people are not aware of it. Somehow, when they think of a divorce, they invent so by default think that it has to be contentious, it has to be litigious, it has to be aggressive, and but it doesn't. And uh, the system, in fact, and this is why you have this mediator and the mediation stage, ultimately, with the objective to to encourage parties to perhaps, uh, if not uh, to withdraw their divorce request, but at least to agree to amicably proceed forward. Uh, So uh, with that, uh, that that note, uh, it's um, the amicable divorces are very much uh, uh, part of the UE jurisprudence and uh, the authorities, the courts, the clerks, uh, the judges, they know exactly what to do and they encourage parties to uh, to have uh, settlement agreements. Uh, so um, before you decide to go with your guns blazing, <laughs> uh, do take a step back and know this, remember this, and perhaps take some time. And instead of having the court decide on these very issues about your very much personal life, such as your children, custody, assets, and such, uh, agree, try to agree with your spouse. And if you agree, this is, um, this is, um, the, uh, the process for you. And that is to put it in agreement and then ultimately have it registered with the court. Now, in more specific terms, what this means is that, uh, 
ultimately, when you make a request with the court, it, there is a little bit of a differentiation, but more procedural than substantive in terms of whether you're Muslim or non-Muslim. But it's more just in terms of uh, uh, registering your request with the court. But once you decide to register uh, an amicable settlement, uh, these Muslim versus non-Muslim distinction sort of goes away because ultimately the court is interested in, um, in encouraging parties to settle amicably. Uh, so in terms of how um, the settlement agreements are drafted and the content of settlement agreements, in particular in the context of, for example, Sharia law that would apply to Muslims, the courts perhaps are less interested in uh, in those kind of cases when parties agree amicably uh, to review the settlement agreement in substance and decide whether it's fair or not fair. Uh, so as long as the parties are there together and uh, they have a settlement agreement, the courts uh, tend to accept the content of the settlement agreement um, as as a preferred method versus having to re-examine the content and, and ensure that uh, some aspects or other aspects are in line or not in line with the Sharia law. Is there an element in this that, you know, the court needs to take a harder line when parties are warring simply because they have to cut through to get to an agreement? Absolutely. And this is exactly why, uh, basically, the I guess, ultimately, uh, courts take the stance that they do. And this is why they even have mandates and instructions and guidance that's already been uh, drafted by the legislators to kind of help parties to do, you know, have some kind of a benchmark or have some sort of a foundation to rely on in order to try to, uh, if not guide parties, but ultimately at least decide uh, specific issues. Um, but um, you know, the hope is that uh, once parties become aware of um, of you know what sort of the benchmark is, what the foundation is, that they will decide that you know there's much more beneficial ways for them to agree amongst them, each other than having a third party decide. Uh, who um, you know, had the visitation rights, for example, children should be um, uh, scheduled or uh, who should live where. So it really, these are such personal questions that the courts don't really want to go through this. They really want parties to decide these issues on their own. But in the event they fail to do so, the courts have no other choice but uh, to take that hard line and uh, draw the line in the sand and, and state uh, uh, more um, uh, enforceable terms uh, so these are the visitation rights. Yeah, this is where the custody, what the custody rights are. This is what the what guardianship rights are, uh, and um, kind of an, and have some kind of document uh, that clearly states uh, the court's order. And then, even then, hope that parties will ultimately decide how to uh, how to perhaps vary this court order as time goes on. Ludmilla, one of the things that that it strikes me as being really important to look at and and provide in an ironclad form is a settlement agreement. The settlement agreement really is everything. You've got to get that hammered out um, properly, have you not? Well, exactly. And so, and this is the key to the settlement, uh, the, the amicable settlement, divorce settlements, is that you, the agreement. Uh, parties must have an agreement. Now, when I say settlement agreement, it, this does not need to be drafted by a lawyer. It truly can be just drafted by parties in layman's terms. Uh, but it does need to, um, uh, at least for the most part, kind of encompass all the major issues the parties anticipate uh, to have to deal with um, so as to make it meaningful in the long run. Uh, so what you would do is you would, as parties, you can even sit down around the table, just the, the two spouses or, or uh, 
um, have lawyers draft this, or at least have parties can sit down and jot down their uh, sort of structure of their agreement and then give it to the lawyers to perhaps fine tune it. It can be done in so many different ways, but it does not necessarily need to have a lawyer. But what you do need to um, uh, to have in the agreement, obviously, the details of the parties uh, and you know, the Emirates ID, passport co- uh, pa- passport numbers and such addresses, uh, sort of the, the essential contact details of the parties, and then um, you'll have to. They also uh, will also have to submit documents such as the uh, the passport copies, the Emirates IDs, uh, the marriage certificate, uh, and uh, whatever the corresponding documents, your children's passport copies, because if 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 there are children involved. So there are uh, there are obviously documents that need to be submitted as part of these uh, the the, uh, the divorce proceedings on the one hand, and ultimately you want uh, certain aspects of these documents be addressed or incorporated in a settlement agreement, such as passport details and uh, uh, and address and names of uh, children and names of parties and such. And then you go through the motions. Okay, so if you are a family, what are some of the more important aspects that you want to have addressed in, in the divorce? One, obviously you are divorcing. Two, you've got children and the children are such such age. So what is your agreement about how the children are going to spend their time uh, after the divorce? And that is, will they have a primary home, one primary home, or will they have two primary homes? And this, by the way, is a great benefit of, of an amicable settlement is that you don't need to to just restrict the children's residence to one home. You don't need to say, okay, well, they will live with the mother and the father can come and visit on certain weekends for X number of hours. You can agree as you uh, as you deem fit. Uh, and that is you can agree, listen, the children will have two residences and we will, we will alternate every other week or every two weeks. They live in the mother's home and then they will in the father's home. And you can also specify the details of how... Uh, how their respective homes should look like or how far they should be distanced from one another uh, and um and who is going to pay for example for nannies or drivers if if that's relevant uh, and um and then you go you know, down the list in terms of who who will be providing for example or who will be paying for schooling that's always a big component of the divorce proceedings because schools are expensive uh, and then similarly with housing, but if you, um, if both parents are working, you can agree that every parent will be responsible for their own homes or if, um, uh, if there's some sort of financial help that is expected or required by one party or another, you outline all that. Uh, and you should also include, for example, details, details like weekends or holidays in particular, because that always seems to be a point of contention as well. I want for Eid or I want for Christmas, depending on the religion. I I want my children to go with me to see my parents, for example. Uh, and uh, so think through all those details uh, at the outset and um, and spell them out. Again, they don't have to. You, you can vary them uh, later on, but at least it's helpful to have some kind of framework put forward. So, for example, if it's we're talking about summers, you can say first part of the summer, the, the children will be with the mother. The, the second part of the summer, they will be with the father uh, or depending on obviously parents circumstances. So so holidays is a big part. Uh, and um, 
Then there is this one more issue that uh, many perhaps don't think about at the time, uh, or maybe they do, they just don't want to specifically address it, is what happens if the parents end up having a new partner. Uh, so often uh, people worry about it, but they don't necessarily want to address it. But you, I would recommend that that's another issue that is addressed in the agreement early on. And, they, and the statement could just be as simple as, okay, whenever one of the parents has... Uh, a partner, they will not, let's say, introduce the, the children unless the partner becomes uh, more of a kind of a permanent fixture or more of a serious partner. And in that case, uh, uh, let's say uh, they will not be moving in for X number of uh, you know, months or so, or if they are moving in, there'll be some sort of discussion and kind of regrouping uh, of the, the, the parents as to how they want uh, the children to be exposed or not exposed to the new partner. So these are sensitive topics, but they're important topics topics to address. And you can address them in a settlement agreement, and it will be very healthy and useful to have them at least mentioned in some, some, to some level of detail in a settlement agreement. And so that's as far as children are concerned. And then you talk about uh, assets, how the assets are being divided, uh, and how financial, pay, uh, f- financial help is being uh, distributed uh, amongst the parents. Uh, and the children. So that's an important component. So the more you sort of more specifically you think through this, the, the more helpful it will be for, uh, for the family moving forward. So that's an important component to address. And there's one more that still surprises me to this day, how few people think about it. And that is, and remember, we're talking about divorce proceedings within the UAE. And in most cases, it applies to uh, to uh, expats. So even there could be Muslim, uh, but they're still expats. And so what happens if one or the other parent wants to leave the UAE? And that is the subject that is often not addressed. But once again, it's very healthy and very much needed to be addressed early on. And it could be, again, as basic as um, if one or the other parent decides to leave the UAE, that the parents will have a discussion about it and they will decide uh, how to structure the relationship with the children uh, with the best interest of the children at heart, for example. It could be as, as sort of as general as that, but there should be a discussion about that. So, and that's basically, if you wanted to put in categories, that's your th- third category of issues you'd want to include in the settlement agreement. So one is the um, the, the children, the custody and uh, guardianship, visitation rights and such. Two is the financial assets. And three is perhaps the, the geography of uh, the respective parties uh, in the long run. Uh, and there is your, basically, there's your agreement. And obviously, if you want any other specific provisions, and that's another thing is about a, an amicable settlement agreement that you can include any other specific provision. So, for example, you want your uh, your child to go to the mosque X number of uh, times a month or to the church, or you want them to be raised in this religion or that religion. Or, for example, you don't want um, any kind of um, drinking to be in the house while um, children are of a certain age. Uh, you be, might be surprised, but there are a lot of people for whom these kinds of issues matter to the extent that they actually want to have those terms included in the um, in the agreement. And it's fair enough. And we've done exactly that. We've included exactly those terms in settlement agreements and the courts have approved them as, you know, as, as they are. And there's always a concern that if, let's say, if you are talking about settlement agreement between two Muslim people or uh, I guess Muslim family, what kind of things can you include? Can you include things like that? So for example, you don't want alcohol in the house. Well, people worry, oh, if the judge sees alcohol in the, in the settlement agreement may not want to approve the settlement agreement. But from our experience, 
ultimately, if the judges see that the parties are on the same page in terms of wanting to have an amicable, uh, uh, I guess, separation and a settlement agreement, um, they will ultimately just basically rubber stamp it. And that kind of will be the final point of before I... I, I touch upon that issue is that, so whatever the agreement may be, once you've kind of signed it, finalized it, remember it will have to be legally translated into Arabic. So you can either have the agreement be drafted in Arabic if you're Arabic speakers, or you can draft it um, in both languages in parallel and have it be uh, signed um, sort of as, as kind of two versions, or you have it drafted in your own language and then legally translated into Arabic. But whatever it may be, for the, for the agreement to be accepted and presented to the court, you, it needs needs to be um, in Arabic. Uh, so that's one important component. So once you finalize your settlement agreement, have it translated into Arabic, submit it to the court, and to the court will issue uh, or will schedule a hearing date, and the parties will appear, and um, they will, for, for this, in most cases, the court does schedule actually a physical hearing. Uh, once the parties appear, the the court will um, just ask them two very simple questions, identify themselves and uh, and whether they've agreed to the settlement together and basically register the settlement. And as part of the registering the settlement, there will be two things that will happen. One is the divorce decree will be issued. So now your nar- marriage has been uh, has been terminated and you have a divorce decree. And then, so that's one uh, uh, sort of step in in the proceedings. And two, now you have a settlement agreement that defines the terms of your divorce, and that is also registered with the court as a rubber stamp with the court's uh, uh, with the, the court's uh, sign off and approval. Which means that in the future, if anything happens and one or the other party uh, defaults on the agreement, they can uh, they can enforce this agreement. Uh, by uh, virtue of enforcement proceedings through the courts. And so, and that's much more expeditious process. And so whatever it is that you put in the agreement ultimately becomes enforceable in court. Uh, so that's why uh, the more detailed, the more specific you make it, um, the more helpful it will be for the parties moving forward. Um, so that's ultimately the process. It really is not very complex if you don't need to get the, the judge involved in substantive matters of, um, of the divorce proceedings. Um, then it's, it's more procedural. And it can just be all finalized within just a a matter of a few weeks. And, you know, there's no appeal because obviously there is no need for the appeal. Um, So it's just a matter of one hearing and you will have the divorce decree and the agreement uh, agreement ratified and on the system on your portal appear within just a matter of a few days. So it can be uh, on the face of it. It can be pretty straightforward. But the, the key point that you've made for the last couple of minutes, at least, is that the agreement really is key. Absolutely. The agreement is key. And, um, you, and you dra- as you draft the agreement, you also want to be mindful not to put in, in things in there that just blatantly uh, jump out at the judge as perhaps being against public uh, public morals or public order. I mean, that's perhaps one caveat, I would say, right. in terms of settlement agreement. You want it to be as specific as possible, and you have the flexibility and the freedom to put in basically anything you want as, as, as long as it's an amicable agreement. That's the beauty of this amicable settlement. However, there are still some limitations such as public order, right? So if you make any statements, any provisions that may be deemed as against public order, the judge, um, at least you know, in theory, should be, uh, should be um, uh, spotting those kind of issues, even though uh, at a high level, the judges uh, will not necessarily review the settlement agreements in, in substance if they're amicable, uh, but um, they will obviously still look at them or at least glance at them. So if there is anything against public order, then... Uh, they may, uh, 
either deny the settlement agreement altogether or at least uh, strike out those parts of the agreement that the judge may deem invalid. Um, so, but yes, as you rightfully said, amicable settlement, the key here is the settlement agreement itself. Uh, and um, very important to draft it clearly, um, it, sort of with enough level of detail. And once you have it ratified with court, you know, that basically is um, is your roadmap uh, for the, I guess, the rest of your future with your now ex-spouse and your children. That's another episode of Logical, this time considering the legal steps to an amicable divorce in the UAE. Our legal expert, as ever, Ludmilla Yamalova, managing partner here at Yamalova and Plethka. And as always, thank you very much. My pleasure as always. Thank you, Tim. Find us at LY Law, social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. We've an ever-growing library, a huge library now of hundreds of podcasts, all kinds of legal matters in the UAE covered and all free to listen to as well. If you'd like a legal question answered in a future episode of Logical or you'd like to talk to a qualified UAE experienced legal professional, click contact at lylawyers.com.